Hi, I'm Brian Fisher of the TWIP Glamour Show on the TWIP Network. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by the brand new TWIP School. You can check it out at school.thisweekinphoto.com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Vietnam. Come join me this November as we tour Vietnam from north to south. Check out the details at twip.pro Vietnam. This is TWIP, episode 468, Ghost in the Machine. One of the main purposes of technology is to make our lives better by taking over mundane tasks so that we can, theoretically, be more productive in other areas. Over the past several years, we've seen advances in facial recognition and machine learning that have been steadily making inroads into consumer software. Apple added faces to Apple Photos. Google added similar, albeit much deeper, cloud-based photo recognition to its consumer photography product. But is all of this a Pandora's box inside of a Trojan horse? In this episode, we discuss the good aspects of machine learning and photo recognition technologies, as well as the scary parts of having faceless servers analyzing and potentially making behavior inferences based on the mountains of data gathered about our daily lives. It's Wednesday, June 8th, 2016, and this is TWIP. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. We've got some really interesting shows again, again to talk about this week. And joining me is an all-star panel of photographers, industry professionals, <laughs> and all-around nice guys. Juan Pons from the Alpha Mirrorless Podcast. Welcome, Juan. Well, thanks a bunch, guys, for having me again. Hey, it's always good to have you on. Uh, Brian Fisher from the upcoming Twip Glam Podcast. What's up, Brian? Greetings. Not much working on that uh, podcast. Get ready to ship it out the door. Yeah, don't don't let Aaron look at that font behind you. Speaking of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking what is that? <laughs> Aaron Nace is here from Flurn.com. Welcome, Aaron Nace. What's going hey on, guys. man? Yeah, not much. Good to be here. It's awesome to have you. I put you at last in the uh, in the intros because I wanted to shine a special light on you because you crossed over a milestone in the world of online content delivery recently, right? What happened? What happened? Uh, big, <laughs> big step. Well, we just reached one million YouTube subscribers. Holy moly! Wow, on our channel, That's learn um, crazy. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, it's you know every at nine hundred and ninety thousand. It's not a big deal at all. But as soon as you say one million, everyone's like, "Whoa, that's a real number." <laughs> you got to say it with your pinky in your mouth. Though. One like, million <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> that's awesome, man! Congratulations, because it because it's you. like you know I when I think of these numbers, I think of television stations, and that's that that was the old metric, right? You know mm-hmm. how many viewers watched a, per, a certain program. You're like blowing television networks out of the water and you have more viewers than, you know, many, many cities have or many towns have residents. You have people <laughs> that you can reach from your phone by recording a quick video and clicking, clicking publish on YouTube. You can get a message out that can move mountains. You could 
you know, it's just amazing the power we have these days. So. It's absolutely nuts. And it's, it's so cool. I mean, we're able to work here with like a small, talented team and, you know, put our hearts into stuff. And we hit publish and all of a sudden the world knows about it. It's, it's really cool. And it, it you know, <laughs> means you don't have to leave the office ever. Which right. And, then, <laughs> and, and on top of that, it's the whole business aspect of it. Because you built that audience by religiously releasing a quality brand new tutorial every single week. Right. That's right. Every, yeah. Since, yeah, since the beginning of time, almost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've published over 600 Photoshop tutorials now, and wow. uh, yeah, it's uh, the response. And they're free. Been, and they're, they're free. Yeah. yeah, they're free. And you have paid long form courses, which is you know part of your engine, obviously. But these free courses, people could binge watch those for weeks and weeks and never pay a dime. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that was the whole idea. We wanted to give people great education, totally affordable. So. Most of it is free, and the stuff that we do offer for you know for purchase on our website is really affordable as well. So, you know, we it's like there's no excuse if you're a creative person and you want to do something cool. Here's how to do it. Love it, love it. Well, welcome back to the show, man. It's a Thank pleasure. You. Congratulations on that milestone. Now, you know, don't rest on your laurels because two million ain't gonna make itself. So, <laughs> unfortunately, we don't get a we don't get a gold plaque for two million. Unfortunately, <laughs> did did YouTube give you something for the one million thing? Dude, it's insane. So we we just ordered it yesterday. Um, but it's it's like it's a huge like framed gold plaque it's like there's a you know the youtube play button yeah yeah it's like they give you a it's a gold plated play button that's like this big and it's in like a giant frame it's got your name printed on it and everything so um, yeah, yeah it'll be here in a couple of weeks we're we'll make an unboxing video <laughs> <laughs> awesome. perfect cool all right, guys. Well, let's let's dive into the show. We've got lots of stuff to talk about. First thing, story number one, there's uh, a new piece of software from the, our friends over at IM. IM, if you recall, um, and I'm sure millions of people are still are still and continue to use IM, but it's a it's one of those kind of uh, Instagram type apps where you have your community, you can apply filters to your images, you can share, and they have a couple of interesting twists on how they do things that are different and in some ways better than Instagram. But they've they've rolled out another piece of software called the Roll. So, and let me quote uh, their CEO. He say, "The Roll is there to replace your phone's camera roll." Um, he showed the technology containing thousands of photos and. They're trying to solve the problem that Apple has been wrestling with in terms of organization and, you know, kind of taking taking on the role of the role of tagging <laughs> and grouping and all that kind of stuff. So Juan Pons, what do you think of the role? I mean, is this does this fit into into your role as a photographer? <laughs> well, it's it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> is this going to be a pun based uh, episode? Please yeah. don't. Let's not go down that route. Come on, um, Juan. It's all in good pun. It's all in good pun. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> um, well, you know, I was actually excited when you sent this because, you know, I have that problem. A lot of times I'll take a couple a couple images of specific shot and I'm trying to pick the right one. And certainly yep. the tools inside the iPhone are not very conducive to help you do that. So I downloaded that app and right now <laughs> I'm looking at my phone and it's processing image what um i don't know 400 and something out of 10,000 whatever so i don't know how yeah. long it's going to take to actually go through them but so far i already see that it's actually grouped a lot of images that are the same or equal and it's starting to rank them so um it it it, it looks pretty promising yeah that's interesting and I, it's it's a problem right cuz the 
every new successive iPhone that comes out, I, I typically try to wait and save up and get the best one I can because I know I'm going to fill it up with all this 4K oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. all this crap. It doesn't make sense to get, you know, save an extra couple hundred dollars and get the smaller one. Just get the big one and uh, and have that extra capacity. Brian Fisher, does this, looking at the role A, does it fit into your mobile photography life? And B, is this the direction that you think software is going with this machine learning layer on top of it to clean up after messy humans. Honestly, I think it's where we have to go. I'm generating 20, 30 pictures a day, every day, seven days a week. And I don't, I, I need assistance going through it. And I didn't start it only because I have enough pictures on there. It's probably going to steal my phone for a day. You have to leave it plugged into 110 to keep yeah. it from going flat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, we we have to go this way. And I think this is very version one. And I think there's a whole lot of other CEOs that are like, it does what? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we will see six months from now, lots of things doing the same job. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And we've we've seen this kind of thing before in terms of throwing like Google's doing it right, Aaron, with 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 Google Photos. They do a certain level of or a lot of it, you know, where they're they're applying program intelligence or machine intelligence algorithms to look at photos and sort them based on the content in the photos. Now we're getting this in our handsets. Does this, does this excite you at all? Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. I've been actually using the Google Photos app quite a bit lately. Um, it, you can sync all of your photos to the cloud. It's like for free. And for me, I've got you know tens of thousands of Im- images. Um, the cool thing with the Google, Google Photos is if you type in car it finds all the pictures you've taken of a car. If you type in, you know, like someone's name, it's going to find, it. you know, the face recognition is cool, but the object recognition is really cool. Like, the, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty into cars. So just, for instance, being able to type that in and see every picture of a car that I've taken over the last five years is nuts. That it, yeah. it knows that that's what I'm looking for. And, um, yeah, I, I think it blows the regular, you know, the regular Apple app out of the water. So I haven't downloaded the role, but I'm I'm going to do so, and I'm really interested to see what it's going to do in comparison to the Google Photos app. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder, like, say with a with an app like Lightroom or you know the now defunct Aperture or those kinds of apps, digital asset management apps, where part of the the power user thing or the cool kid club was to go in and meticulously tag all your images and build your you know your you know, your hierarchies and all that stuff. And, you know, you can drag groups of tags onto an image with the location and the GPS and all, which I never did. You know, I just, <laughs> I, was I never say, did What that. cool kids club do you hang out with? Those are not well, the cool kids. Those are the, the nerds. Those, well, the nerds, <laughs> yeah. The geeks shall inherit. So, yeah. but those kids, <laughs> those kids, kids, but, you know, I look at this, I'm like, this is great for me because now I can, I can have my cake and I can eat it too. I, I want that organization like everybody else wants, but I don't want to spend the effort and the time to like, okay, I did another shot. Okay, here's the image. Here's a flower in it. So let me put flower. Let me put red. It's a rose. Uh, it's got, you know, I have no idea what I'm going to be looking for in the future. So I want, I, it's great to have a machine do that for me. Aaron, or all you guys, feel free to jump in. Do we is this kind of technology going to expand more, and we're going to see it more on the desktop, or is this the purview of online services and cloud services like Google and IM with Roll? Aaron, you yeah. can go first. What do you think? Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, Lightroom, for instance, obviously an Adobe product, and you know, if they could tie in some sort of Google services, 
it it would have surprised me a lot if you know Google came out with something for photographers for this. Like, hey, just like you know, upload your images. We'll scan the metadata. We'll scan the pictures, and we'll we'll come back and give you you know the important information about this. And mm -hmm. you know it. It depends. I mean, you have your amateur market and your professional market. Your professional market, you might need to do a little bit more like, you know, your copyright information and th things. That you might need to hard code that into the files themselves. But I think for most people, I, I think that, you know, going the way of the cloud, especially, you know, uploading a gigabyte these days is not that big a deal, which is, it's nuts. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, things are just going to get faster and easier and software is going to get smarter. And, um, yeah, I, I can see it totally coming to the desktop. Brian Juan, what do you think? Well, I think yeah, it I'd has like, to come. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see it pushed down at the operating system. Apple threw in all this ability to meta tag all of your files, and no one I know of uses that. <laughs> Absolutely nobody. Mm -mm. But if mm -mm. the machine did it on its own, it might might be pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I, we, we have we have to see this in, in in things like Lightroom. Right now, my catalog is almost two hundred thousand images, and I'm pretty good about you know I'm in that cool. Cool kid club that uh, you belong to, Frederick. <laughs> as far as meta tagging, I'm actually pretty good about that. But still, I mean, 200,000 images, you know, I miss a bunch of them. And I'm sure there's some hidden gems inside my library. If, if Lightroom had this on my catalog, it would be a tremendous help. Not necessarily have those, um, those categories or those tags at the same level as the ones that I've actually added myself, but kind of at a separate level you know, kind of yeah. suggestions that I can actually then use and, 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 and uh, leverage what the AI is doing in order to, to be able to find the images that I'm looking for. I think it would be totally. a huge help, much more so than on the phone. Yes, I, I take a lot of pictures for the phone, but I have way more images on my, on my Lightroom catalog than I do on my phone. Yeah, and you know what I, what I want? And I always want something like that's just out of reach. Like I want, <laughs> I, first of all, I want Siri in my in my mac on the desktop and i want it to work like unlike it does on my phone <laughs> or my watch <laughs> I mean, you know i want siri to work like alexa so alexa works flawlessly for the most part siri is a little bit uh you know she needs to be held back a grade or two so i want alexa i want siri on my desktop with alexa like performance but i also want it tied in to this machine learning. So I want to be able to, instead of like diving in and clicking and creating queries after the machine has sorted everything, I want to be able to sit at my desktop and say, you know what, show me all the photos that I took in Chicago uh, between this window. Boom. And I want a window to pop up to show me all those. I don't have to touch anything. You know, okay, now show me all the, like Aaron, you can say, show me all the photos of Tesla's taken that I took on Lakeshore Drive, you know, in this window. Boom. And it should just pull them up. Why do you have to dig and click now that we have this this crazy machine learning? I mean, do you guys want that? Would that be useful, or you feel better clicking and dragging? And stuff? Uh, yes, Tom Cruise. Uh, that's a minority report right there. <laughs> yeah, give it to me. <laughs> that's good. Well, perfect. Like, I'm a minority, so you know, I'm reporting I think, this. <laughs> I think you were looking for the computer from the Enterprise and uh, with uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But why not, right? I mean, we have this amazing Absolutely. processing power. Yeah. We have this. I mean, we have more processing power on my desktop than anything that I carry around yet. 
my uh, even my laptop, my MacBook Pro has more processing power than all of my mobile devices. Yet it doesn't have a cellular modem in it, like my mobile devices do. It doesn't understand understand spoken word for the most part, like my mobile devices do. How come it can't be as smart or smarter than the things that I stick in my back pocket? Aaron, do you, you would you use something like that with you know voice driven machine intelligence for photography? Oh yeah, totally. And I think it's coming, right? You know, mm-hmm. we already have glimpses of the technology. It's it's just like anything else. We're in like we're in the early stages now. So we get to see it, you know, in action. It doesn't work perfectly, but you know, the the biggest thing is there's a lot of money there, right? Yeah. There's companies are throwing a ton of money to get this right because they know that it's going to make a huge difference. And with competing companies putting a lot of money into this, I think it's only a matter of time before it works really really well. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, Brian, flipping the the coin a little bit on this topic. What about privacy? If you're allowing your machine or the cloud, and we've talked about this before uh, in the context of Google and Google's kind of, you know, all your bases are belong to us. Right. So in that context, do we care or do you personally care that this thing is ingesting all your photos? Not only do they have the bits, but now they're looking at them and making inferences as to the content in those photos, albeit yes, to make your life easier. But the other side of it, what if Google sees something that it doesn't think that you should be doing in those photos and then reports that or, you know, I, I am a la role says, oh, hey, he doesn't yeah. need to be over there. Or do what if, and this is science fiction stuff, right? Uh, you know, they do some sort of correlation between, hey, a, a, a disproportionate number of Brian's photos have things in them that known terrorists also have in their photos. So <laughs> let me flag Brian. So just in case, we'll watch him for a little while. I don't know. Is that paranoid? Well, what, what about something more blatant <laughs> where the system goes, man, those look like young kids. Yeah, What, what exactly. position is Google in? They, yeah. they have the data that you're doing something bad. Right. Yeah. If there's um, child porn in a library, they, some, you know, obviously the people that are doing that aren't the most intelligent people in the world anyway. So they upload their photos into the cloud. Google scans them, sees that a felony has taken place. What is Google's responsibility? You know, are they complicit if they don't report it or are they breaching privacy of their user base if they do report it? That is brave new world. And it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting when it comes out. As far as the desktop goes, I think there's enough processing power we can bring that local. I don't think it has to go to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think that was a nice sidestep on that question, though. I think <laughs> I've been practicing. We are clearly in the political season yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Although, Aaron, Aaron, you know, you, you guys have your... Chicago has its own political issues out there, so... What do you think, man? I mean, that's a double-edged sword, right? You give you give the power over to the cloud to make inferences about your photos, but then if it makes the wrong inferences, you're in trouble. What what should we do about that? Right. Well, isn't Apple going through something like that with the FBI now where they've actually requested private information from the cell phone to unlock certain- the cell phone? But that was just unlocking a phone though. I mean, I guess it's I guess it's similar, right? So Relatively but I'm saying similar. it's giving I'm up the privacy if, of their users. I'm saying if if you like in your house. So here's my house. Someone commits a crime in my house, a la Google, that I see. Am I obligated to tell the police that, hey, this person committed a crime in my house? Or am I not co- obligated? And if the police find out later that this c- crime was committed in my presence and I knew about it and I didn't report it, 
am I also am I you know a co-conspirator or whatever they would call it? I don't know. I'm this. It's, yeah, it, it, it seems makes to me you not like, want to use any technology, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it, it seems to me like large companies like Google and Apple and Amazon are going to do their best to not maintain any responsibility for anything that happens. Right. You know, it, yeah. I, I don't think they're going to just completely hand over information to you know to a government party just because they ask. You could, we can see what Apple's going through right now, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just. As a company, you don't want to get involved into that sort of thing unless you have to. You know, if a law is passed that says all private corporations have to surrender all information to the government, you know, then I think we're in a pretty dark place at that time. We're we're almost there. I mean, it just happened last week, right? Didn't uh, some guy robbed a bank and they were trying to pin where he was and they were able to go back to Google and get information out of the Android phone. Um, stuff that the person was not even actively tracking, but apparently Android phones actively track people, and there is a cache of location data that's there unbeknownst to people. So the the police were able to go to Google and get the data out of the phone. Now they're proving that the guy was at the bank, robbing the bank, um, because he carried an Android phone. Listen, Android people... Buy an iPhone. <laughs> Buy an iPhone. Or leave yeah. your phone at home. When you leave a phone at home. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so we're but that's Darwin there. at that's Darwin at work, right? You're supposed yeah. to, you know, people, are gonna, people that are not that are that are you know of, of the intelligence level to go to try to try to rob a federal bank are probably right. going to take their phone with right. them or some <laughs> other tracking. Um, but okay, Juan, you open this can of worms, right? So. Let's Brian up the ante with like if some child crap goes on, but what if you up it even higher and say the they see evidence of a a giant attack on say New York City with some sort of weapon of mass destruction? They see that. Are they obligated to report that? And what's the difference of reporting that versus reporting something a, a lesser crime? Well, we're right. back to we're back to Minority Report, right? As a pre-crime mm. unit, remember? It is pre-crime. It's pre-crime unit. It is actually almost proving intent. Yeah. Are you yeah. are you going to be able to convict somebody on proving intent? Have it hasn't the, the crime hasn't happened yet. So yeah. all the data, you know, as these companies collect all this data, and we know that you know Google is such a data-driven company, are they going to be collecting all this data and start to make inferences and prediction mm-hmm. as to your behavior? That would yep. be really interesting and very scary at the same time. It is God. very scary. There is this great TV show that I've been watching. Um, you guys may have heard of it. It's called Person of Interest. Have you heard of it? If you haven't seen this show, it's one of the smartest shows on TV. And its overall premise is there's this, there, this guy's created this, this program, this entity that can see and hear through every cell phone, every mic, and see every camera that's connected anywhere, and then make inferences on crimes that are going to be committed, and the, the lead characters have to then go find out who is the perp and who's the, perp, who's the perpetrator and who's the victim, because they don't know. They just know these people are involved in something that's going to happen, and we need to stop it, right? So it's actually, it's actually a really, really interesting, well-written and acted show. It's called Person of Interest. So crazy. So now that we all are sufficiently depressed that we are <laughs> and scared, I'm going to start covering scared. this camera. Hold on. Hold oh, on. No, let me turn off my phone here because, you know, <laughs> you probably already know what we're going to say anyway. Right. So. going to say slide up, airplane mode. Yeah, yeah I know. Totally. <laughs> all right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come out, we're going to talk about the DJI Osmo and its new competition from another camera that's trying to undercut 
the amazing gimbal-driven device. I'd like to formally invite you to check out the brand new TWIP School. You've learned so much from the amazing TWIP hosts and guests over the years. Now, within the TWIP School, you can continue that learning and dive deeper on a variety of photographic and business topics. There are already several great courses to choose from in the school, and we will be adding new courses often. Right now, you can learn about fashion photography from Lucas Passmore, Final Cut Pro 10 for photographers, and time lapse with Lee Herbert, marketing for photographers with Zach Prez, and even time travel for photographers with yours truly. And to kick things off, you can check out the school today with a course that we've made available for free for a limited time only. And that's Five Habits of Highly Effective Photographers. It's an inspirational course designed to help you get more done and stay focused. So head over to the brand new TWIP school now at school.thisweekinphoto.com. That's school.thisweekinphoto.com. All right, guys, we are back. So DJI Osmo, have you guys, are you guys familiar with that little device? Oh, yeah, it's the one absolutely. sitting behind me back there, if you can't see that. Uh, so I love that thing. It's, it's, I don't, okay, I really like it. You can't love an inanimate <laughs> object. I really like it. I was starting to get I worried really, about you, man. <laughs> I really like it uh, with some caveats. I mean, it's a version one, but for what it is and what it does, it's an amazing piece of, of gear that I take you know, a lot of places with me. For those that don't know, the DJI Osmo, it's from DJI, the company that brought us the Phantom series of quadcopters, and they're kind of the Apple of the, the UAV or unmanned aerial vehicle industry. Um, so what they did was they noticed that people were running around with their, Os- with their, with their quadcopters because it's, it has a gimbal-stabilized 4K camera on there, and they were shooting footage with this thing so that they could get kind of steady cam footage out of their quadcopter without actually flying it. So what they did was they took the camera off, built a handle, put it on the handle. And that's what you see back there. It's the camera from a drone stuck on a handle. So now you can walk around with it, control it, and record audio and video without the use of a drone. It's basically you're the drone now. Uh, so the, the, the impetus of this story is there's a new company out there. Actually, there's a couple of companies, but we're talking about one um, that has created a, a product called the Roxor, R-O-X-O-R, 4K gimbal camera. Now, the DJI Osmo launched at $649, which I thought was okay for what it did. They've recently dropped it down to 500 or maybe even sub 500. These guys came out, and they're launching at 199 199. Now, we haven't seen it yet. We don't know if it's as good or better than the Osmo, but it's really interesting that where this this particular industry is going. Aaron Nace, I know you're, you know, high-end, you know, Chicago retoucher compositing <laughs> artist and all that. So Osmos are probably, you know, uh, in your outer solar system. Do you care about this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I, I just looked it up on my phone. I was like, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'm actually super interested in it. Um, I think for things like behind-the-scenes video capture, you know, here, mm-hmm. so we teach photography and we teach Photoshop. And teaching Photoshop is relatively simple. We got the camera on a tripod. We're shooting with a Canon C100. Everything is, you know, it's still relatively easy to do. Uh, when it comes to shooting tutorials for photography it gets a lot harder because all of a sudden you need a lot of gear big expensive heavy gear you need operators you need you know you need quite a bit and then you know you're you've got a a a 10 person team 
capturing behind the scenes on you know on a photo shoot and then you know editing power and whatever and uh for me that that looks like actually a perfect supplement for capturing things like behind the scenes and you know instruction when you don't you know when you're not shooting for a commercial client when you're doing something uh you know that the the content is is kind of key like for us it would be the education would be the focus of it Obviously, we'll have to record audio externally, but we can sync that up with a program like Pluralize, and it uh, yeah. should be just fine. So um, I'm actually looking at getting a couple of those Osmos. That I think that would really simplify yeah, the, our the, process. the quality of them, I think in, in a lot of ways, um, it, it represents not the future of photography, but a future in photography, because these gimbal-stabilized heads let you do a bunch of things. And DJI... They they promote this thing as a video camera and a still camera, so it shoots it shoots 12 megapixel stills, albeit with a fixed you know wide angle lens on there and 4K and down video. But the cool thing about it is it's it's run by your iPhone, so your your iPhone or your your Android phone or whatever becomes the viewfinder for it, and it's connected through Wi-Fi, so the two don't need to be in the same location for you to operate it. A and B. It's interesting because it is because it's computer controlled, you can do interesting things like panoramas with one click. So you say, make me a pano and it, the robot just goes, in, 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 you know, and creates a pano. And I, I would assume I have no inside knowledge, but I would assume in the future they might even start letting you do gigapixel type images where it does a grid because it's code, right? It could just do the top row, next row, next row, next row, stitch them all together and give you a gigapixel image. So, you know, I think that's why I say it represents a future in photography because you can do things that you can't do with a still camera. Brian, what, what do you think of this stuff? I mean, you're you're like knee deep in, you built a studio from the ground up to, for, for your TWIB show. What do you think of stuff like this? Are these toys to uh, you or are they good? It's No, 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 no. It's it's the right thing. I It's early, because honestly, we need to have a micro four thirds mount on that. But these cheaper options, I don't have any doubt that their stabilization will be fine. I've played with uh, drones that are have very inexpensive stabilizers and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. But can you really put a decent camera in something for whatever money is left over after the stabilizer? Well, they did. Bucks? They did. They the one I have is the poor boy version. They have a non poor boy <laughs> version that has a micro four thirds <laughs> sensor and a micro four thirds mount on it. So okay. that's, right. that's probably so the one that 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 Florin would purchase. So that's, that that would be the Brian model. But yeah. these these other guys that are pushing the two hundred dollar limit, I'm not buying any two hundred dollar camera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a whole price perception thing. For 200 bucks, it can't be good. uh, At 200 bucks, no. I I don't see the components in the catalog to make a probably at their cost $50 camera that I'm going to find useful. Yeah. Interesting. But it would be a good way to get your toe in the water for this. It's the entry drug. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but think about it. You know, think think of the quality that you get from the iPhone and think about what that sensor is and how much that camera costs in the whole package Mm -hmm. as far as. The iPhone's concerned. I mean, you see the, you know, the big pictures that we see posted by Apple about the taken with the iPhone uh, campaign, as well as all the new videos that are coming out now, shot on an iPhone. You know, if you can create that kind of quality video on an iPhone, you know, with that sensor, this sensor is, you know, has the capability of being a lot better as far as low, low light sensitivity, you know, cleaner images and whatnot. Plus, you have this uh, gimbal built in. I don't know. I mean, I think I think we're getting into the point where two hundred dollars may be good enough for ninety nine percent of people. Hollywood, probably not. You know, high end production, probably not. But 
you know, for me, it'll probably be fine. And I do, and I do a lot of video work as well. So the millions of YouTubers out there that are, you know, doing the daily vlogging and that sort of thing, this would, you know, they don't want to spend a lot of money on this stuff because they're probably going to break it anyway because they use it so much. That right. would make sense, right? I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting. The, the stabilization is definitely the cheap camera's friend. Mm -hmm. It can be open yes. longer. That's. Three hundred yeah. bucks. I'd have to take a good look at it. It's just <laughs> yeah. two hundred pushes it. When I looked at kind of the breakdown of components, it it was rough. Doesn't add up. Hey, Aaron, yeah. here's here's another here's another cherry on top to make you want to go buy one of those things. So you know because it has a, a gimbal on there, so the image is stabilized. You can do handheld long exposures. I think they said for up to like ten or twelve seconds. Handheld. That's nuts. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's like magic. That's, that's crazy. Magic. Provided you haven't had any coffee that day, I think, but still, <laughs> you know, you can handheld for, it used to be what? It used to be what? You can't, couldn't handhold for anything longer than a 60th of a second or a hundred, right. you know, <laughs> or maybe a 30th if you were really good and stopped breathing. Now, you know, 12 seconds and hmm. you can, you know, draw with light essentially with one of those things. Yeah, that's so. really fun. And I was thinking, you know, about the lower price item. I, I do think for, you know, uh, teenagers, People oh, yeah. who are getting into YouTube, I think it's an mm -hmm. awesome product for those, you know, because if I don't have kids, but if I had, you know, someone in the range of like five to 10 years old who wants to run out and have fun with a camera and create cool stuff, like, sure, take this $200 thing. If you break it, it's not the end of the world. So yeah. I think for that audience, an awesome product. Yeah, no, it's really good. And they, they've just recently updated the DJI Go app. So DJI has this app, this software called Go that works on Android and iOS that essentially it's the same app that controls all of their devices. So you run it on your, your iPhone or your iPad, and it's the app that you fly your drone with, and it's also the app that you control the Osmo with. So it's the same UI across their entire line, which I think was a, was a smart way to do. But they've updated that app uh, to bring Facebook Live streaming to it. So, and you can also stream live from your DJI Osmo to, wow. uh, to Periscope as well. So... You know, for those folks that are doing the, the constant barrage of periscopes and all that stuff, now you can do it directly from one of these things and have it stabilized and look awesome, you know, instead of the handshakey and all that stuff. So, And the cool thing about this one, I haven't done it yet, um, but the cool thing about the Osmo and doing Periscope or Facebook Live is obviously when you stream into Facebook Live or Periscope, they're compressing that video, you know, so that they can then stream it out, which gives you less than stellar results for the most part. But you can record directly to the SD card while you're streaming. Mm. So now you can do it live at relatively low quality, pop out that, that SD card, do your editing, and say, hey, if you want to watch the replay, we have a 4K version on YouTube <laughs> that you can go check out. Which that's is, dope. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Really cool. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where we are. Imagine where we were like three years wow. ago, five years ago. We couldn't, all this stuff was science fiction. We had no idea any of this was coming. And now we're here. So. <laughs> All right, guys, let's dive into this, uh, to this last story. So Google um, has announced a new gigapixel camera that's designed for recording famous arts of, or works of art. So, for example, <clears throat> they've created this camera where you can, it's kind of, they call it the robotic art camera. So you aim it at, say, you know, the Mona Lisa, and it will <clears throat> meticulously kind of do a gigapixel type 
shot of it, capturing every little nuance, detail, shadow, brushstrokes, everything that went into that. So they're they're creating this thing to capture and preserve those works of art over time in ultra high resolution. And the cool thing about this is they are giving these cameras to museums or loaning them, I would assume, to museums to to kind of scan in all of their devices. So or all of their their works of art. And they're saying the device uses sonar and laser, laser, laser <laughs> to focus. I said I should register that laser. <laughs> they're using sonar and laser to focus and line up proportions of the works and make sure they get every little bit of the image. So, Aaron Nace, I was really excited to have you on to talk about this. Uh, what, what do you think? Is this is this good or is this part of Google's master evil plan to digitize the world's information? It's awesome. It, it's really awesome. I was looking at some of the results, um, you know, just like the level of detail you can zoom in is, is really, really awesome. It's crazy. And yeah. um, the, the weird thing, you know, I was actually before I got into photography, I did a lot of painting just for fun. Like no one ever saw it or whatever. And, uh, you know, recently I've thought about taking painting back up just as a hobby and going in and being able to like see the individual brush strokes. I, I'll tell you, it's. I, it, it's like a peek under the skirt, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. what it's... <laughs> that's why this is so good. They used all these cool <laughs> colors together, you know? So I'm uh, I'm actually really excited, you know, not just as far as like a, you know, a, a documentation of like for historical purposes and, you know, archiving, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's really going to help out artists. Being able to zoom into that level and, and see what goes into these pieces of work is... Uh, really cool and you know accessible around the world so uh, yeah. i think it's awesome i think it's awesome but i think i think it's it also makes me feel good so that you know after the zombie apocalypse happens and everyone's gone the 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 next evolution of humans will find <laughs> these works of art and we'll be able to <laughs> see that we weren't all insane i don't know brian what do you think you do you like this thing or are you scared of I, it? i'm i'm a step ahead of that i've been shooting i've been shooting the family uh paintings which we have a few of few artists in the family. I've been shooting with my Gigapan for about four years now. Really, seriously. And the, there is a real advantage to using a Gigapan instead of a uh, traditional camera or a scanner because you can take and light a picture. And especially in oil painting, it's uh, it's very three dimensional, and the way you light it makes the brush strokes either show up or disappear. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, you got a Gigapan. It's a great tool, and I applaud them. It's a good use of the technology. You know, it's yeah. funny because I was thinking the same thing that Brian was talking about. This is great, but there's a lot of art that has a lot of three-dimensionality to it, you know, especially oil paintings, right? I mean, they, they lay a lot of that, the, that paint really thick on, and how is that being captured with these devices? Because, you know, it's nice to see this at that detail, but it doesn't... You know, it doesn't substitute for actually being there. I think being there and being being able to see these things in, in you know real life and being able to adjust your angle, look at the picture from different angles, and seeing what the differences are based on that three dimensionality of the image it makes a huge difference. So I think it's cool, but I think you know it doesn't. You know, we shouldn't think of it as a substitute for actually seeing the real thing. I, speaking of it being a substitute, I would love to see a future. Here's a futurist Frederick talking again. I'd love to see a future <laughs> where I can put on some really cool high resolution VR goggles mm -hmm. and go to the Louvre and look at works of art in there and get up close 
and get as close as I want and see every little nuance of detail as if I was really there. Wouldn't that be cool, right? From the, from the, you know, for people that could never go, you know, or people that are home ridden or whatever, for whatever reason, you can't go and experience these things. Now you could and see them. Yeah. Granted, you can't touch them, but you could get as close as you can. (laughs) You could get to resolve what your eye would see if you were actually there. I think that's, that's really, really cool. And if so. you're going to shoot them that way, you'd shoot them as an object VR. So when you moved your head, you could see yeah. three-dimensionality. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. See, now now we're in sync, finally. <laughs> now we're in sync. I was saying in one of the previous shows, I want to see, I want to, you know, like right now we have, tel- in the old days, we, everyone had telephones in their house, like hanging on the kitchen wall. I want to see a, a day when we have a small little room, soundproofed, air-conditioned, comfortable, with very well designed with some high-end uh, VR goggles in there, right? And you go, you know what? I, I have a doctor's appointment at 3 o'clock. I'm going, and you go sit in that room, put on your goggles, and go talk to your doctor, and he sees your chart hovering above your head, and you have that conversation. You're done. You take it off. You go watch TV, you know? So, I don't know. That's the future I think is coming. Are you saying you never want to get out of your house? No, I'm not wanna, saying. You're going to put pants I'm on saying. ever? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying Virtual for things pants. like that where Matt, like for doctor's appointments mm. where you don't need to, you know, that or if you, um, you know, you want to meet family members, you could virtually meet mm. in and not have to fly across the country. <laughs> you could get training. Somebody could teach you how to play guitar sitting in the same room with you. And they happen to be in France and you're in Florida. It doesn't matter. You know. Those kinds of things, you know. I'm trying to. I think the world can be smaller with technology. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I should write all this stuff down. This is like a movie script. I know it's a movie yeah. script. The world according to Frederick. All right, guys. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to answer a question from one of our listeners. This episode of Twip is brought to you by Vietnam. This November, I'm taking 11 people on an exclusive adventure in Vietnam, starting from Hanoi and ending in Saigon. We'll be making photos, exploring, and eating some amazing food for 10 days in wonderful Southeast Asia. To get more details or to sign up, just head over to twip.pro slash Vietnam. That's twip.pro slash Vietnam. And remember, we're only taking a total of 11 people on this once-in-a-lifetime adventure, so sign up now. And if you have any questions about this trip, you can contact me directly through the contact form on the TWIP website. All right, guys, we are back. So periodically on the show, we answer a question that has come in from one of our listeners. This week, we have a question from Levent about recommendations for books on how to learn photography. So Levent writes, my friend just got a Sony a6000 and sent me a Facebook message asking me what I would recommend as the top three books to get for beginner photographic instruction. I said Brian Peterson's Understanding Exposure was a good place to learn that fundamental subject, but after that, I was at a loss. I have a ton of books, but they are for the f- or from the film era. What would you recommend? Juan Pons, you know I'm going to throw this to you first because of that <laughs> Sony, and you're the Sony guy. What, what do you think? Well, you know, I probably have a little different take. And actually, you know, I, I want to encourage this guy to even uh, recommend the, big, the books that he has from the film era. One mm-hmm. of my favorite books that is still very relevant to this day is Ansel Adams' The Print. 
Because yes. one of the great things about that book, it allows you to look at, at an image and break it down into its components. Is to, you know, talking about the zone system, talking about the different parts of the image, what makes an image an image. I think that's really important. That's beyond all the technical aspects of it or whatnot. Um, so for me, that would be a book that I would always recommend is Ansel Adams of Print, I think. You know, that's an absolute timeless. It can benefit. We can all benefit from uh, looking at that book or reading that book. But, you know, for me, it's also um, I, I want to learn more about the softer side of photography, what I call the softer side of photography, not so much the technical aspect of it. So I would recommend that they uh, read books and look at books about the photography that they're most interested in. So, for example, for me, um, uh, I'm a nature photographer, wildlife and nature photographer. One of my most influential uh, photographers in the past was Elliot Porter. So I read a lot of Elliot Porter's books and I looked at his images and tried to reconstruct them or deconstruct them, I should say, and study them to try to understand what made the images work. Um, I think that's more important than something that a lot of people don't talk about, you know, uh, when they're recommending books to friends who are wanting to get into photography. They, we often gravitate towards, you know, the understanding exposure, kind of the technical books. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's just as important to offer those you know, f uh, books that can teach people how to see better because yeah. that is by far the most important thing about photography is learning to see. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, what do you think? You got anything to add to that? I don't think I – honestly, the Ansel book is great, mm -hmm. but I tell everybody read one technical book, learn how to use your camera, read your manual, understand your camera, then expose yourself to 50 to 100 images a day every day. So, Brian, your advice would be yeah. expose yourself. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad we finally got that clear. <laughs> and to be clear, the Ansel Adams book, the print, was one in three, right? So he had a series. Yeah. He had the print, yes, the exposure, right. and the uh, negative, right? So Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. The camera, the negative, I'm and sorry, the print. Thank you. Yeah, the camera, the yeah. negative, and the print. And I, I had two of those. And I think I had, I had the print and the negative early, like, I mean, like when I first started, quote, becoming a photographer, I read those and I had to read them like four times because yes. it is, I mean, he's, he's, that man knew his physics of photography down to the, the logarithmic algebraic level, yeah. right? So. Yeah. And, and you're right. That series is phenomenal. But if you can, if you were, if I were to pick one of the three books, it would be the print. Okay. Perfect. All right. All right. Aaron Nace, what would you recommend for this, for Levent? Yeah, I, I guess I would go with Juan's idea, you know, the, the second idea that he had. Like, everyone has different interests when it comes to art and different, you know, in photography. Some people are going to be landscape photographers. Some people are going to be portrait photographers. And I think, you know, as a photographer, you you wind up photographing the things that you're interested in. And I think finding someone who inspires you in that space and you know, getting a book of theirs and just sitting down and studying those images and, you know, what about this image do I like? What about this image, you know, what makes this a phenomenal image? And then, you know, looking through page after page, what do these things have in common? You know, what, what color palette is this photographer using to, you know, tell the story? And how are they, you know, where are the subjects in these pictures? Where are the light sources in these pictures? Where are the people looking at? Are they looking at each other? Are they looking at the camera? Are they doing something? Are there props? Is there a story? You know, I, I think that all those things combined, 
you know, if you really take the time and analyze the works of any given photographer, uh, you can learn quite a bit. So, um, you know, I, I say definitely, you know, focus on something you're interested in and uh, find a photographer who's doing something similar who you admire and uh, just study the heck out of their photos. Love it. Love it. So on that, before we leave this topic real quick, I've always wondered from you guys, educators, what do you think from the standpoint of, of order of operations begin for beginning photographers? Should they be learning the art history and kind of the, the lore and, you know, the Cartier-Bressons and the Andy Leibovitz and kind of going through the history and all these superstars that paved the way for the photographers that are today before they get into the theory, the F-stops, the shutter speeds, the composition and all that stuff? Should they build that foundation or does that foundation matter? What do you, what do you, what do you guys think? Juan, what do you think? Well, I, I think foundations definitely matter. I mean, building that foundation is going to um, just improve your photography and, and set, up, set you up for, for success. However... I, I honestly believe everybody's brain works differently. Everybody learns in a different way. So I wouldn't say there's one true way for everybody to go. Um, you know, some people are very sort of uh, uh, have a natural ability for composition and, and for color, for example. So maybe they need to spend a little more time on the technical aspects of photography. Some mm-hmm. people that are more technical oriented may need to spend a little more time on the softer side of photography. So I think it's more about understanding you know, what your strengths are, what, you know, what you need to work on and how do you learn things and, and, and take the path from there. But certainly learning the fundamentals, whether it's the fundamentals of, you know, uh, of composition or fundamentals of, you know, technical aspects of photography, you know, the exposure triangle or whatnot, those are very, very important. So start with those, but focus on the areas that you think you're the weakest at. I think that's the most important thing. And for most people, not for everybody, but for most people, it's the softer side of it. What I call the softer side of photography is the composition, the color, the mood, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Very well put. Aaron, what, what do you think? Yeah, I guess um, the technical stuff can, it can really bog you down. And some people like technical. I, you know, I kind of enjoy technical stuff. It's like, okay, cool. I get to find out all the nitty gritty about this. But a lot of people don't like the technical. So I guess... My advice for, for someone starting out is make sure you're having fun with it, you know, because that's going to keep you going. You know, if you if you jump into something and you're just reading technical and it, it seems like work, you know, you're, you're not going to stick with it. It's going to be something that you don't wind up enjoying. But as long as you can continue having fun with what you're doing, you can, you know, I haven't read Ansel Adams' The Print. I'm going to now, but I, you know, I've been <laughs> shooting for a while and I'm like, I don't know any of the knowledge that's contained in that, but I've had fun along the way. And, you know, here I am a couple of years later and now I can take that next step and, and, you know, read some of that stuff. So I think, yeah, um, yeah my advice would be have fun along the way and uh, pick up what you can and uh, you know all that technical information will be there when when you need it I think that's that's a perfect point because by any measure Aaron I think you would be considered a successful professional photographer right and and the fact that you didn't go through these sort of traditional learning the print the negative you know all those things from Ansel Adams from that kind of mathematical standpoint yet your work is insane right so that doesn't mean that one should one should be a gateway into the other but 
if you are that person, like you're saying, if you are that person that wants to get in there and understand the DNA structure of photographs and then build on top of that, there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, right? for sure. And, you know, some people are going to be into the gear. That, that's what they want. They want to be into the gear. Some people are going to be into the art of it and they want to create art. And I think photography is so great because it provides a, a, an outlet for many different types of people, whether they have more of an artistic you know, leaning or more of a technical leaning. I, I think that there's something really for everyone. Perfect. Brian, you have anything to add to that at the end? Yeah, I, I encourage the students that I've worked with to really get a fundamental understanding of their camera, get to where operating the camera is reflexive, because that frees you to become artistic. Yeah. Simple. You mean like muscle memory, right? Get it into muscle memory. Even if you got to you know, bear down for a week and get the, the details of where all the buttons are on your camera, mm -hmm. because once that's moved to the back of your brain, now you're free to express yourself. That's great. That's a good point. The, the first book that you should read should be the manual that came with yes. your camera, right? <laughs> At least the first half of it in your language, right? <laughs> so I can't, I, I've had more than one student that was like, I, my first question is, how do I turn this on? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a student right there. Very cool. Well, good, guys. Uh, so, TWIP listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to tackle on the show, just click on the Contact Us link at the top of the page and select TWIP, the main show, to submit your question to us, and we will get that and put that in the queue to answer live on a future episode. All right, guys, we're rounding up the end of the show here. Let's do quickly do our Picks of the Week segment. Remember, guys, you can pick anything to recommend to the TWIP army as long as it is somehow related to photography. Juan Pons, I'm going to let you go first, man. What's your Pick of the Week? Well, my Pick of the Week is a, a new product, actually, that was put out, or a new app that was put out by Google called Motion Stills App. You know, mm -hmm. with the new iPhones, you have the live photos, and you've always yeah. wondered, you know, what to do with that? Well, the Motion Still app actually really takes advantage of those live photos and stabilizes the background. So they actually become like these tiny little six-second clips that are just beautiful. And cool. it makes it really easy to share those uh, with the on, you know, on social media. So what? it's just, I mean, this is the app. This is what... Apple should have released these are cinemagraphs. So. These are cinemagraphs, right? These they're, are they're like kind of like cinemagraphs. Micro cinemagraphs. Yeah, well, yes, and they're not cinemagraphs. And in, in that, what they're doing, you know, when you when you're doing the uh, live photo thing, you're focusing on the picture, right? But you didn't focus on the three seconds before and the three seconds after, because mm -hmm. that I mean that's what the live photos are: is that you get the picture in the middle and the six, you know, three seconds before, three seconds after. What the the motion stills app is, it actually stabilizes the image, the little movie. <gasps> So it just looks amazing, you know? It looks like a tiny little movie that you used a DJI Osmo or you used a tripod on. It's just absolutely cool. It makes it really easy to share as well. Um, uh, because it, it creates free, like right? a, it creates like, it's free, yeah, absolutely. And it makes like a little, um, I think it makes either an animated GIF or a movie that, that then you can share on social media really easily. Because today there's not, you can't share those live photos very really easily. But mm -hmm. Google has actually unlocked the potential of those live photos. So very, that's very cool. That's really cool. That's really cool. Thanks for that's a perfect tip. I'm gonna download that right after this show. Yes. The uh, the I, it's funny you say this because this past weekend I get a I did a talk at Keeble and Shuckett. It's a local uh, camera store here in Palo Alto. Uh, kind of famous. They've been there since the beginning of time. And um, I did a talk on time travel for photographers. And we were talking about these kinds of things where you're 
compressing time, stretching time, selective time with cinemagraphs, you know, all these mm-hmm, sorts of mm-hmm. things. This is something that would have been perfect for that for that talk because now, you know, that's you can do it in your in your phone, you right? Know, right. And make these little clips. And I think this was released yesterday or the day before, so it's just I mean, it was just out. Awesome, cool. That's a perfect pick. You might win the the best pick so far. I don't know. The pressure's <laughs> on, Brian. Brian, what do you got to top that pick? All right. Well, I'm. <laughs> I'm going to combine a little bit of business advice with a piece of hardware. And um, the advice is sound better than your competition. We are all communicating (laughs) with our, uh, we're all communicating with clients and models and uh, business partners. And your iPhone isn't good enough, honestly, because that's what everybody else has. And you want people to walk away thinking that you sound rich and professional and better than everyone else. And the old saying in podcasting is the video can be horrible so long as the sound is good. Correct. So I'm going to, I'm going to obviously recommend uh, the Heil microphones that we're generally using on the network, but they're expensive along Mm -hmm. with their interface. So I'm going to give you guys a a budget pick that will make you sound better than everyone else on the call. And that's a MXL large diaphragm condenser microphone with built-in USB. It's well-rated. Sound as The samples I've heard sound great. It plugs right straight into your computer, and mm. uh, you sound like Frederick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's you impossible. You can sound like me. Yes. <laughs> you got to have that. you got to have that. You know? um, yeah, cool. 105 bucks, and uh-oh, only one left in stock. Oh, hmm. I bet it'll be zero by the time this show drops. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So, and Brian, you're using you're using the Heil PR40, right? I am indeed. Okay. And you you like it? You're happy with oh, it? Oh, love it. Yeah. Yeah, the Heil. This Heil, right, I, I have the same mic. And this mic has literally been plugged into my Mac through a Shure X2U USB to XLR interface, continuously powered for like three years. The same <laughs> mic. Like, this is the same mic. It's just like the only thing that I had to replace was this <laughs> arm. Because the arm, you know, gives out over time, yeah. so you buy another one. I don't know why they, they keep uh, wearing out. We <laughs> move yeah, them all over the yeah. place. Yeah, well, it could be better engineered, but, you know, so. <laughs> but, yeah, these mics, if you get, I guess the, one of the takeaways is if you get a good mic, it's like getting a good lens, right? Don't buy yes. cheap glass. If you're going to be doing this stuff for any kind of, for anything, right? Even if it's just communicating right. with people. Like, I'll do, I'll do business calls that are with people that aren't even in the podcasting industry, and I'll do them through Skype with this mic, and they're like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I've had the same thing happen. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, I just have good equipment. So So, cool, man. All right, well, great. So that's the USB .008 large diaphragm condenser microphone with USB. Yeah, their marketing needs a little bit of help, but that's... Just uh, a bit of a name problem. Yeah, just a little bit. As long as it sounds good, I don't care. There you go. There you go. <laughs> cool, Brian. Thanks for that. Perfect. And uh, Aaron Nace, what is your pick of the week, man? All right. I actually have one right here. Can Will they be able to see me with this here? Ooh. Yeah, let me put you yeah, on screen yeah. there. What is that? NYX color sensor. What is that? These are so cool. Uh, I want it. <laughs> they're they're incredible. And I've, I've used it. Uh, you know, we, we recently started working with this company. They sent us some samples to give away in our 1 million subscriber 
contest. So we're actually giving away five of these to five lucky grand prize winners. But basically, uh, at, at the bottom of the color sensor, it has four lights as well as a color sensor. So um, when you place this on any object, uh, it syncs with a mobile application and it scans the exact color. It's supposed to be like a million times more accurate than the human eye. And it'll scan the exact color. And then on the mobile app, you'll get all of your values from Pantone to RGB to your hex codes. And it even has different paint manufacturers. So if you need to repaint a wall, you can scan a color and it'll tell you, you know, this is Sherman Williams, whatever, whatever color. And you can go out and buy that exact color. And the guys who make it are incredibly cool. They're great, nice guys. And the, the industry is really, you know, people are using this for uh, scanning the color of meat. Like if they want to see how old a piece of meat is uh, based on the color. Wow. Um, for skin replication, you know, scan a person's skin skin color and you'll have it on your application on your mobile app and on your computer so you can recreate skin color perfectly um, think about product photography if you've got a product you need to duplicate color exactly on the web these sort of things are relatively difficult to do and this nix color sensor just it, it it does a great job and it's incredibly easy to use so i i really love these things and uh yeah super happy to we actually got to hang out and uh, meet the founder of the company and he's a really nice guy which is a a bonus so <laughs> I want, that's my pick I of the week. What, do, what do they run what's the what's the price uh i'm not sure but they're they're sub uh i think they're uh they are definitely less than 500 dollars um, uh 350 349 oh, you oh know, yeah buy one of those yep yeah. i know that's my, that was my next thing <laughs> brian is probably ordering at least two because you gotta have a backup right that's yeah. right <laughs> yeah they're, they're really awesome and again you you unbox the thing and uh, it sets up its own bluetooth network and uh, you pair it with the mobile app, and within you know within a minute of unboxing it, you're actually using it, and it's it's just a lot of fun. That's crazy. All right, I'm, I think I may have to get one too, but I think Brian, you'll probably have yours before me because yeah. you probably clicked the buy now button already, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's gonna have to wait till we get back from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. That's right. That's right. We're gonna hang in Chicago in a couple weeks. Well, um, you should come by our studio. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely come by we your studio. I mean, yeah. Come on, right? <laughs> All right. Done. Done deal. I'll send you, I'll send you my, uh, my details. We'll set something up. That'd be I'll great. distract him while you get the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. I'm going to record a video and publish it to his <laughs> 1 million subscribers. <laughs> All right, guys. So my pick is – so and, and actually my pick is on the heels of a mention from from Dave Dugdale who, from learningvideo.com. He was on the show, what was it, last week, I think it was? And he mentioned, we were, I forget where the tangent came from, but we were talking about what we'd like to see in video editing software. And I, I said, you know, what is Final Cut Pro or Premiere Pro CC missing that you would like to have? And he came back and said, well, have you heard of DaVinci Resolve? which is a new kid on the block, which apparently isn't so new. So DaVinci Resolve, for those that know what it is, used to be only a color grading app that you would use to take your footage and make it look like the Matrix or whatever, you know, Deadpool, whatever. Um, you change the color palette of the overall scene to match whatever mood it is that the director wanted for that particular scene. 
Um, they've evolved past that into nonlinear editing now. So now DaVinci Resolve has a insanely mature set of nonlinear video editing features in there, much like what Final Cut Pro would have been had they not gone in the direction of their UI. So they still have that timeline UI like Premiere, but the UI is very flat and slick and clean and the whole thing is fast and it's it's pretty amazing. So the cool thing about DaVinci Resolve, they're at version 12.5 as of today. They just released version 12.5 today. The cool thing about it is it is 100% free. It is a free app. Not only is it free, but they have a companion app called Fusion, which is a 3D and compositing app, much like After Effects, which is also very robust and mature. And it is also free. <laughs> so, And it's on Windows and Mac. It's It's like... Go get it now before they wise up. So <laughs> I, would, I would, and it's free. So why not go get it and play with it? Even if you haven't, you know, you never had a uh, an urge to edit video or do compositing or whatever. You might as well play with it, right? Because it's free and it's there. I've used it to edit several projects on already. In fact, the night that Dave told me about it, I went and grabbed it and edited a Twip Talks interview with it right out of the box. And I understood it just like that, you know, and it's it's not hard to learn at all. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And there's a bunch of um, there are a bunch of tutorials on the Web you know, or, or on YouTube that go through basic uses of DaVinci Resolve. I'm sure there'll be some on Flurn soon. You know, they're all, they're, all, <laughs> they're all over the place. They're pretty cool. And one of the videos I was watching was really interesting. Uh, Paul Sacconi, who is a guy that I used to work with at Apple, is their spokesperson. So he was doing a review or a demo of DaVinci Resolve 12.5 at this most recent NAB. So he's ex-Appler working on this software. It's got to be good, I'm saying. So yeah, definitely go check it out. DaVinci Resolve 12.5 is free. So I beat all of you in terms of uh, cost, by the way. <laughs> so- cool. But yeah, check it out. Check out DaVinci Resolve and also check out Fusion. I haven't downloaded and played with the Fusion app yet, but you know, if you're at all into compositing or, you know, any of that stuff, it's it's pretty it, from the videos that I watched, it looked pretty insane. DaVinci Resolve's keying features because it is based on that that whole color grading engine. So doing green screen green screen keying or blue screen keying with the app is crazy powerful you know it just works and their their whole metaphor of of moving from one stage to the other is logical it's just, it's a pretty good app and it's definitely something you should consider if you are not liking final cut or not liking premiere this is kind of right in the middle and also for those those refugees from sony vegas because sony just announced last week that they were selling vegas their video editing software so they're offloading that to some company called Magic. So it'll be called Magic Vegas. Um, this is the perfect, you know, on-ramp for those guys. So I would definitely go check it out. All right, guys, before we uh, close the show, I want to find out what's going on with you guys. So Juan, what, what do you have coming up? Well, actually, one of the things that we just uh, released today, right, was on the Alpha Mirrorless website. People can download yes. the new ebook that I created on the top 20 settings for your Sony Alpha mirrorless camera. So um, this is a, a little, you know, I guess, 20 page ebook that talks about all the different camera settings that you wanna set when you first get your um, Sony Alpha mirrorless camera. Pretty neat uh, little book and uh, you can get it for free. You, all you have to do is 
go to the alphamirrorless.com website, put in your email address, and click on the button, and we should the, uh, the file over to you. And, that, that's and it that. is beautiful. You, just, just to pat you on the back, you designed, <laughs> wrote created the whole thing from scratch so and it is it is a beautifully designed little ebook it is it is great and if if you have a sony alpha camera I mean, why not right it's just like the video right. why not it's free and it's going to give you some information you probably didn't have before so right yeah even if you don't believe even you don't follow all the uh, advice that i have in there some of it may be useful for you so why not just go and get in it's free um, awesome. And then I have a bunch of workshops coming up in the fall, going to Cuba again, doing my perennial Acadia National Park workshop, Scotland, um, Yellowstone, uh, I forget where else. I got to look at my calendar. I don't, you know, it's a good thing I ha I'm off for, for the summer. I don't start traveling again till September because I do need that time off. You you got you really got to stop complaining with your amazing life, Ron. I mean, Juan, Juan is like, yeah, I got to go this and that, and, you know. And then they're going to force me to eat all this great food. And, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> I love it. So people can find out about your workshops where? Uh, well, they can actually find out on my workshops on my website at juanpons.org, or my workshops are done in conjunction with a Munch workshop, so they can go to munchworkshops.com, munchworkshops.com. How do, you, how do you spell Munch? M-U-N-C-H. Okay. M-U-E-N-C-H. Sorry. M-U-E-N-C-H. Correct. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Great. All right. Aaron Nace, what about you, man? What do you have coming up? We got a really, really exciting product coming out. Um, Photoshop 101 through 301. This is the largest, most comprehensive tutorial we've ever created. We're launching in a couple of weeks, and uh, you guys can actually add yourselves to the uh, wait list to be find out uh, to find out when it comes out and also receive exclusive discounts when it comes out. So if you go to flearn.com, this is phlearn.com slash coming hyphen soon, um, you'll see a little banner there, one of the main images from the photo shoot, and uh, you can add yourself to the wait list there. Um, I'm really excited about it. We've, we put a lot into that. Uh, Photoshop 101 is over eight hours long. 201 is over eight hours. 301 is over eight hours. We're including you know, layered TIFFs so you can follow along. So when you download these, not only are you getting the images to follow along, but you actually have like the final layered TIFFs where you can go in and see like everything that's been done on these uh, amazing photos. So uh, really excited about the tutorial where we recorded it in an entirely new style. It's shot on a Canon C100 at 1080p wow. at 60 frames per second. Uh, they're, they're absolutely beautiful and uh, we're releasing in just a couple of weeks. So, that uh, is great. yeah, that I'm really is excited great. about the product. I, I, I can't wait for it to be, to release. And, uh, it's really, it, it's going to be the best thing we've ever created. So I'm pretty excited about it. And that's, that's saying a lot. Cool. All right. Well, I'll be, I'll be one of those first customers. So I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Thank cool. you so much. Any, anything else coming out? Um, well, I've got some workshops coming up and, um, we do. Uh, we've got some great stuff in the works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to go all Apple on us. I can't talk about it uh, yet. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> over the next six months, uh, we'll we'll be making some pretty big announcements. Things I'm pretty excited about. Unfortunately, I can't. Uh, yeah, can't say much right now, but yeah, we're working on Brian, some pretty exciting Brian, stuff. Brian, when we get to Chicago, we'll get it out of him with some beers or some martinis <laughs> or something. It'll all be over. <laughs> He'll be leaking like a sieve. Yeah, most, yeah knowing me, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Cool, man. Well, Aaron, thanks for coming on the show, man. It's always a thanks pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. All right. And Brian Fisher, man, what's coming up with you? 
I'm keeping my head down, getting ready to launch Twip Glam. Uh, we are coming down the home stretch. Uh, Twip Glam is going to be a, a little diversion from your normal Twip show. We're going to be doing uh, interviews with models, photographers, makeup artists, body painters, people in, in the glamour genre. And we're going to bring up about a dozen images from the photographer, and we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts behind the image, both psychologically and mechanically. Hmm. Yeah, cool. I think uh, I think that guy sitting next to you in the hangout might be a good uh, interviewee for Twip. He's already on the list. <laughs> Targeted for acquisition. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you, Brian and Juana and Aaron, for coming on the show, man. It's been good to have you guys on. I, I miss these these Twips where we have three guests. They're they're such they're much more fun. It's like a little party. All right, guys, and um, you know that we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to thank our sponsors for their support of this show. Also, please visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com. Follow us on all the usual networks. And be sure, if you are a Sony shooter, to head over to alphamirrorless.com. Check out that new show, which is on fire, and grab Juan's amazing new ebook. So he put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that thing. And it uh, it's pretty amazing. And I'm not a Sony shooter, and I got stuff out of it by by reading it too. So that's the end of the show. With that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.